Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Sinclair. Uh, and today, before I let Drew even jump in here, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a warning. Our guest uh, on this episode is like an older sister to me, and we do nothing except for talk shit to each other. So uh, it t- today's podcast is just going to get off the rails. I already know what's going to happen. Um, but, uh, you know, I blame her entirely because I'm very professional in my own right. And uh, she's very bad at her job. So, Drew, how you oh. doing, buddy? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Listen, I want no part of this smoke. You know, I'm I'm happy to be back in the saddle after missing after missing last week. Uh, I didn't even ask you how did how did how did the conversation go with our friend Eric? Was it good uh, with the premier Grenier? It was lovely, yes, and it was uh, exactly as awkward as you knew it would be. I cannot wait to listen to it. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, we don't we don't screen these things like we should or edit them like we should. So no, that's I'm going to be listening to it raw, just like everybody else will. Mm-hmm. And and I'm so bummed because um, you know Eric is such an amazing person. Like he's such a cool dude, and he's just always like, it's like, hey, I'm in town. Let's hang out. Let's do this. Let's do that. I just love that about him. And uh, so I was really bummed that it didn't work out, but I'm happy that we finally got him on the podcast. And obviously we'll have to have a volume two with him uh, in the future where I can hopefully make it less awkward, but I'm sure it was still great. I mean, that star shines pretty bright. So even you couldn't dull his spirit. Um, oh, I thought you were saying my star shines pretty bright. I was like, oh, thanks, Drew. And then no, it wasn't me. Fuck me, tarnish my 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 brightness. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Eric, Eric is. is pretty. He's he's glorious. It's true. But I would also say the same thing about our guest tonight. You know, one of the things slow down about about the guest is that a couple of years ago, this person was working for a whiskey brand, and uh, it was the first time that I met them. And we were talking about the whiskey and they said, this is, this is really good stuff. And this was before it was, I think this was like whiskeys of the world or something like that. It was some, it was some whiskey event and um, oh. they just were kind of like, yeah, this stuff is, this stuff is really good. You know, what makes it tough is it probably needs to be about $20 more affordable. And I just was like, I was like, oh my God, you're allowed to say things like this. Cause I was still pretty new to that, to like that level of the industry. And, um, and I just always kind of felt this immense level of gratitude towards towards our guests tonight because they're pretty much responsible for why I'm honest about everything now because it was like that one moment of honesty just ruined the rest of my career. It was just kind of like all Drew is going to do is just tell you exactly how he feels about everything because this one person said this one thing on a boat eight years ago and this is this is where we're at now. So without any further backstory. So we get to blame no- her for literally all of this that we all have to deal with. <laughs> yes. That's what yes. I, I mean, pretty much. Point. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for the past couple of days. I'm like, I'm like, this is their fault. Um, our guest tonight is a full-time mom to a very handsome young man named Luca. 
And she is also the manager in customer development at Pernod Ricard for the U.S. of A. in the San Francisco on-premise market. Listen, I'm just reading what you sent to me, okay? Our guest tonight, <laughs> Jen Chen. She's all, Hello. She's all insulted. Welcome. Ugh, how dare you read it that way? <laughs> it's just, it's, it was very long the way you read it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was all the things that you said to me. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank hey. you for joining us tonight. <laughs> uh, you didn't say her last name. It's Jen Chen. It is Jen Chen. <laughs> Jen Chen. And I, I feel like I said it right. Um, don't do this to me right now, Chris. I'm doing my best out here. It's um, uh, Jen Chen. Jen, how are you? What are you drinking? I, I'm great. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you great. Okay, what are you drinking? Well, tell us, tell uh, the, tell our listeners a little bit about all, yourself. I want to say thank you for that intro, Drew, because I actually don't remember exactly when we met. So that's great that I I made such a deep impact on your whole life and your career. That makes me so happy. You literally said I made an impact on your life and you made zero <laughs> on mine. No, 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 no. I, best, I that totally, is the best way to come totally into a podcast. That's fantastic. Into shameless sales, which is always to be honest and transparent. And that's how I try to live my life for the most part. Gets me in trouble a lot. But as you all know, Chris, you love me because I tell you the truth. That's why we're friends. <laughs> and no, since it's... I'm following up an awkward uh, session with Eric Renier, who I love. I can't fuck up that bad. Oops, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. This is not a are PG you, podcast. Are you abs- okay. are you uh, like covering up your mouth because you said fuck? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like if I'm allowed to. Like, <laughs> this is a podcast, man. People log in because they know what the fuck this is. It's fine. Okay, yeah. Good. Plus, it's it's about booze and stuff. Okay, so um, over over the past couple of years, you have worked for a couple different people doing different jobs, you know, saying things that you work for should be $20 cheaper. I won't mention the brand at this time, but, um, with that, because like, can, can you tell, can you tell people a little bit about your career and, you know, kind of where you were to where you are now and what you're doing and how things have changed over the years? Yeah. I mean, definitely short. I mean, long story short, you know, I started off, um, behind the bar. Well, I did post server, Got behind the bar um, around 1920 when at a little <laughs> shitty Italian restaurant that only had one bartender. So on the weekends, I was like, I'll bartend. Um, and then moved to San Jose where I had a pretty prestigious bartending career for about 10, 12 years. Moved to the city, got hired with a distributor. Um, it was I'm sorry. Uh, San Jose is a city. What city are you referring to? San Jose, the city. But then you said you moved to the city. Oh, San Francisco. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I, I just want to make sure to that. San Francisco, the main city in the Bay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, Sacramento. Uh, and we then, do the same um, thing. We do the same thing. Yeah. And then, um, you know, natural progression from wanting to learn more and not having the ability to grow in the front of the house kind of led me to sales and a natural jump to um, key account manager for Young's Market for three years. Um, that was that was a hard one. It was uh, eight thirty meetings until you're you're out at night till twelve thirty one o'clock because you're trying to get to know people. You're trying to get to know your buyers. Uh, so naturally jumped over to the supplier side, which I could say I'm much happier at because you can kind of 
learn the brands, really be passionate about what you're selling and also kind of dictate your own schedule as well. So, so I think that brings up an interesting point and element of, of like this industry. So yeah. the difference between distributor and supplier, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, I mean, outside of just like early morning meetings with a distributor, like what do you see as the major differences? And for anybody who's looking to get into this business or make a transition, like what do you see as like really kind of the value or the, or like the major differences between the two? Oh, there's so many. I think the major differences for me, though, if you want to go work for a distributor, you have to remember most of the reps are union based. Um, they still have to follow you know, certain guidelines to get their goals done. And really, they're, what they really are is a weekly, sometimes order taker for accounts. So they mm-hmm. have so many products, they don't really get to connect. You know, they don't really get to really learn about brands because um, that's where the supplier comes in and kind of teaches people about the brands individually. But yeah, they, they just have so many brands. They're just trying to make a, you know, make a paycheck because um, you really have to grow your base as a distributor rep. Um, if you want to focus on a smaller portfolio and really ingrain yourself in everything from production to distillery to like Um, history of a brand, I would suggest going towards the supplier route. Um, I'm much happier on this side for sure. Um, Yeah. And and so (laughs) you've, and, but you've, you've jumped to a couple different suppliers, at least in the, you know, the timeframe that I've known you. Um, Don't say I've been around the block, but I have. (laughs) You dirty, dirty skank. I thought um, we were doing a porn show here. <laughs> no, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, when you when you do make those jumps, because you know, I think I think one of the things that that gets difficult about this industry, and I would I would never put you into this category, but there's a lot of our friends who are very ride or die with their brands, right? Mm-hmm. And they it's just kind Kool-Aid. of like they drink the Kool Aid. And it's one of those things that like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the things that I work with and I'm very happy to work with the people that I work with. But at the same time, like there's stuff in my portfolio that I know sucks, you know, and it's not always going to be the best. But more importantly, I know that I can appreciate, you know, greatness from other people and stuff like that. I think that's really served me well. When you're jumping from one supplier to the next for whatever reason and the reasons don't matter, what's the transition like? for you to your buyers be like, Hey, you know how last week I was really into this. Well, this week I'm really into that. Uh, what do you guys think? Like, what's that? What, how, how have those transitions been for you? So honestly, like I have a couple of friends who jump from brand to brand, you know, every couple of years, I try my best not to do that. Um, my first couple of suppliers. Yes. Um, there was other situations that happened that forced me to leave the company or better opportunities came up, you know, but honestly for me, I, I'm, I'm pretty open to like the whole industry and I don't drink the Kool-Aid as much. I like to go out there and see what the competition's doing. I think if you don't, you're really not learning at all. You know, so uh, if you're just stuck with your own brands, it's it's very limiting to um, how you're exposing yourself to what's out there. Um, yeah. So I think for me, I try not to jump from company to company, but, you know, other circumstances did 
happened in the beginning of my career um, with Cooper Spirits and and Bowls. Um, at Bowls, I actually was very happy, um, but um, a good friend of mine convinced me to come work for Hodling slash Anchor Distilling. So I was there for a good five years. And with Pernod, I, I love the brands. There's some brands I'm not fond of and everyone knows. Uh, Malibu obviously is not my favorite, but you know, it has its time and place. It's a consumer brand. And um, the nineties are back. So I see people actually using it. And I actually did a tasting with Malibu here in the city with um, Brad from Last Resort. And it was one of the toughest tastings I've had to sit through because I had to taste with them and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so, but that being said, I mean, I support the brand and and I found that a way to kind of um, change the perception of the brand in my own brain is to sell it differently. You know, we what does that look like? <laughs> well, I sold it as a modifier versus the rum and it works. So you split base with like a really good rum and or another good base spirit. And it actually works really well as a modifier. It's great in slushies too. So um slushies are good. At, at your new restaurant. Oh yeah. boy. That's I hope that that doesn't happen. Um, well, okay, let me let me ask this. When you're doing a Malibu tasting, like do you guys do blind tastings where you line up a bunch of Malibu, but then you also like put in some suntan lotion and see if people can tell the difference? First of all, I agree with you, but F you. I don't do Malibu <laughs> tastings. People know what Malibu, people in this industry know what Malibu tastes like. It's, you know, we all drank it when we we're 18, 19, 20. And um, I'm not encouraging underage drinking, but it is a modifier. So it's a little lower in alcohol. So if you want to start somewhere, it's a good place to start. When you're 21. Uh, Yes, exactly. Well, you have to be yeah. twenty-one to listen to us talk. So that's that is correct. Um, I think that, I read the I, rules. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I think there's a lot of people who, I mean, at at a certain point, like everybody has to start somewhere, right? And I always look at, you know, if we get you into it, fine. I don't care what you drink. Let's just get you into it. And hopefully, what ends up happening is is that you progress, your palate develops and you start to crave yep. a little bit more or something a little bit different. And so I think there's a place, you know, on the shelf for every single rum, every single mezcal, every single whiskey, like, you know, there's, there's always a place out there. And I think the, um, you know, and I, and I don't have, I certainly don't have a problem with any Malibu rep or whatever the case may be. Like the only time I ever get annoyed is when, is when someone's like, it's like Malibu's the best. You're like, no, it's not. And that's just like a ridiculous thing. That's now that, that's your palate. You yeah. Well, but I also think that it, other people's palates. Well, no, no, and and, and more so, or more so when I say that, I mean, I mean from like a from like a brand ambassador or something like that yes. point, right? Where yes. it's just kind of like a like I had this. I mean, the situation I always think of is, you know, I attended or did a um, a certification with the CRT, which is the Regulatory Council for for Tequila, and it was sponsored by a very very prominent brand. And, you know, it's the, the CRC certification was, was pretty easy and you kind of get through it. But at the end they did this question, they did this question and answer thing. And I remember sitting there and asking the brand ambassador who would put it on. I was like, I was like, Hey, when you're not drinking your brand, what are some of the things that, that you like to drink? It's like, and then, you know, he just kind of stumbled through it and like, well, you know, 
oh man, I guess if I'm drinking something else, um, wow, really? You know, like I really, I really That's try to stick to well, it was just like it's like I really try to stick to Tahona tequilas, you know. But don't yeah. sleep on our Tahona tequila because our Tahona tequila is really good. And it was just like, dude, shut up! I can never drink your brand ever again, you know, because it was just it was so disingenuous. And I think, yeah, you know, knowing knowing your place in the world and kind of being like, you know, is, is Malibu for the quote unquote rum aficionado? Like, no, but the rum aficionado group is so small and it's this tiny little bubble that they think they're so much bigger and they're just not. Yeah. And that's the reality of the situation where Malibu is probably, and in more cases going to appeal to a lot more palates. You know, there's a reason that Malibu outsells Foursquare, right? They're both mm-hmm. technically Barbados rums. But one has some ginormous. I don't think numbers. Malibu is technically a rum. I think the ABV is too low. Well, no, and I, and I agree it with that as well. But I mean, but if you're thinking, if you're thinking, <laughs> it's a rum and a modifier. <laughs> if you're thinking, it's like a, the, it's a rum-based that. liqueur. Yeah. You know, well, okay. made in Canada. So here's the thing boo, that boo, we have to boo, realize. Boo, boo, boo. Love you. Here's the thing we have to realize, and I I like what Drew's saying, but it's also we have to realize that we. We don't get many perks being in this industry. We were talking about this before we came on air. Like, we must be mad to stay in the hospitality industry, right? People mm. must be mad, especially during the pandemic and all that. But we have to remember that there are certain perks that we get that other regular mainstream people do not get to experience. From a younger age, we got to taste so many, so many liquids and spirits and, you know, distilleries. And our palates from what I know, change every seven years. So, you know, it grows. Right. No, I, now, I, I think you know, you're Being right. in my 40s, my palate's definitely, you know, cannot handle the the 21-year-old drink. But I will say, though, when I was 21, oh, here my, we go. <laughs> my morning drink, my pre-noon drink is what we'll say, was, uh, was coconut rum, either Parrot Bay or Malibu. Uh, I don't even think Parabia exists anymore. It does. It does. It does. It does. It does. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I saw it a couple weeks ago. One of Malibu's uh, biggest competitors. It was either Parrot Bay or Malibu, and fresh orange juice was like my hangover cure. It was the best, and it always it was like it was my way of like. So more sugar was your hangover coming cure? off, and then going yeah. right back into it again. Ugh. It was great. You're rough. It was, was great. Rough. That sounds rough. I party like a rock. Like a rock star. Oh my god. Like gosh. water could have been good. That's that's a little too, you know. My hangover cure medium. though is a big a big bowl of pho. That's it. I'm sorry, of what? Pho. Vietnamese oh. noodles. Oh pho. pho. Yes. Always. Big bowl of pho. Yeah. Fuzz delicious. I was actually just talking to my Jen about pho today and suggesting that we hadn't had it in quite a while. And uh, I miss it. I need pho in my life. (laughs) Which pho are we talking about exactly? Yep. The answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's get off of the relationship between Jen and Chris and go back to the other Jen. And um, let let me ask you. So one of one of the things that we do have in common is that our children are very close in age. And yeah. so 
via the world of um, Facebook, we've been kind of able to watch from afar and see both kids kind of grow up and stuff like that. And obviously for both of us making the transition, uh, what is it like to be a mom in this industry? Cause you know, we've had some dads oh, on, but I don't think we haven't, we haven't talked moms. We haven't had like, you know, true. young, like the yeah. younger children with moms. So, so generally what is that? been like you know to, to um, take and, and also luke is like one of the cutest kids of all time like i've also oh, i've so also felt that like i love like, how like, she puts like, you in your place all the time <laughs> yeah that's i love it too seriously um no. so cute. but uh but so like you know what's it been like for you for you and luca and, and incorporating this industry that you also love as well um having a child would probably i would rate it up there as one of the hardest things i've ever done honestly. Um, but also one of the proudest things I'm, I've ever done. Um, I think it takes a certain level of, um, being true to yourself and knowing that you don't want to pass down toxic behaviors. You don't want to pass down behaviors that your parents have taught you. You really want to teach your child that, um, that life is, you know, it's theirs for the taking and it's going to be like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a growing, it's a growing process for me still. Um, I would have to say that um, he's, I've been blessed with just one of the sweetest little boys and I've been taking him to bars um, and restaurants. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you know, when he was little to get accustomed to noises and get him accustomed to being social because um and you know, to whiskey yes no. <laughs> that was a good look thank you that was exactly what i deserved i can't say that <laughs> um i think he's he's really getting accustomed to being social and knowing that hey a lot of mommy's friends are in own bars or they work in restaurants um and i don't think that's a bad thing you know i think it's good to let him see our industry. I think it's good to let our kids see how hard people work in this industry and how there's not enough, like, you know, there's not enough options to be parents sometimes in this industry. It's tough. Yeah. It is so. tough. I mean, and, and no, no judgment from my side. I mean, my daughter was at a liquor store, like in the first like two weeks of her life. And then she was at a bar in like by week three. So I totally, yeah. I totally get it. I mean, you know, and also I think coming from the, from the standpoint, like I know, you know, my, my wife does the same thing, but you know, she, she works from home. So it's a little bit of a different scenario, but like, you know, setting the example as a working mom to kind of be like, Hey, by the way, cause it's, it's not just like, you know, Jen, that you're just working, like you legitimately run shit in San Francisco. Like you are wow. a big time player and we're, you know, Luca might not be able to appreciate it. Now there's definitely going to be a time where he's going to look around and kind of be like, Oh, okay. Like this is this is you know what she's doing is pretty incredible. That's dope that you uh, say that because a, a lot of times I felt I've taken three steps back from the industry because I did I do need to focus on him and his growth. So you know when you feel like you're not quite out there and as relevant on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes it, it gets a little hard, but you give up a little bit of yourself for something better. And that's to me, that's more important. So. No, I, I, could, I totally agree. And I understand where you're coming from as well, where it's like, 
you know, you you do. I mean, because given the choice, if you're telling me that I can have 50 people in a room and I can talk mezcal to them or I can go hang out with my daughter and she can yeah. make me be the voice of the horse, like voice of the horse all day. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's, for sure. that's these all are moments I we'll do. never get back. Right. There's exactly. always going to be a happy hour. There's always going to be a tasting for us um, because we are like true blue in this industry, but those things can wait. The kids will grow up and then we're going to miss out on those moments. Right. So I have to highly like, recommend prioritizing everything I do because that's really where my mind's at these days and even though Chris likes to talk a lot of shit in the the last you know 10 years I've known him he's definitely probably seen me clean up a little bit right Chris a little bit well I would say we both have in in whatever whatever sort of grading yeah. system that we're doing. Yes. Yeah, so I remember when you always look like shit and I'm like, Chris, get some sleep. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I still have my bags. Yeah. Those are very prevalent. Those got passed on to, um, to Carmela as well, which is the real sad. Well, part. the bags in my, under my eyes run in my family. I mean, they're full on genetic. Like I am, I am fat Tony through and through. I, I grew up knowing that that was well, going to be my easy. life. Nobody said the F word. Okay. Let's not body shame yourself. Come on. I know what this is, Jen. I, there's, you know, I'm well aware. It's not a matter of shame. You actually it's a matter lost of a lot of weight from when I first knew you. You look great. That's incredibly not factual. I am like 50 pounds more than I was when you met me. You yeah. carry it better. You carry it better. Yes, you carry it, it better with age. Yeah, the dad, the dad, the dad uh, oozes out of me in its bod- bodily sense. You're yeah. like a fine whiskey barrel you know you're round you're round <laughs> yeah right. my, like a barrel <laughs> yeah that's right well with like I, weird I, lines and all over the places that's right well i don't know that don't take your clothes <laughs> off please. yeah okay so again i i do think it's important to highlight because I, I i think a lot of people are in our industry do struggle with the notion of uh you know of having children because it is also a very expensive you know, endeavor. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that I think it's important to showcase people who are super successful and still able to do the mom thing. And then also knowing it's kind of like, Hey, it's okay to put your family first. You're not going to miss out on everything. And I, and I think the way that you put it is like, there's always going to be a happy hour. There's always going to be a whiskey taste. There's always going to be a rum tasting, whatever the case may be, you know? Um, one of the things that, you know, I kind of wish that we had visuals of uh, for this podcast and we are going to put it on our Instagram, but like you <laughs> have decorated your background with pictures of a, of another parent and mutual friend of all of ours. Mr. Stephen Barry completely passed out at Tales of the Cocktail. He wasn't passed um, out. He was, no, he, throwing, wasn't he was throwing a hissy fit. Yes. Like okay. a big baby. He's a giant baby. Or at least was. <laughs> but now he's also got... Also a very good friend of all of ours, I have to say. Yeah. Let's put that out there before we start talking to him. Here's the, here's, the, here's the background of this picture. And this picture will end up on our social media because it, it just needs to. And it's that time of year. It's beautiful. Uh, the, the, the background, the story to this picture 
in all its glory is that uh, another good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Chris Dooley, and I were sitting at the uh, at the chart room in in New Orleans. We were having a beer in the afternoon when it was a hundred fucking degrees outside in the French Quarter. And for we Tales of the Cocktail, to, which is Tales going on right now, which is exactly. why we bring it up. We're recording um, during Tales Week, so something to keep in mind. I like that Jen's taking a selfie right now with the pictures behind her. That's fantastic. And uh, Barry, Barry could not find us. We told him where we were. We even dropped a pin in Google Maps. Was that uh, you and Chris that he was? He, I know he was, was looking for Chris Dooley. Yeah, I thought you me, were with it, us. No, it was me and Dooley okay. were sitting at this bar. And uh, he couldn't find us. And it was probably about an hour of him circling the block till he just said, I'm sitting down on this corner and I'm not moving until you come find me. We cash out and we literally walk to the end of the block and make a left hand turn. And there he is sitting against the wall like a giant baby. Uh, it's on the sidewalk in New Orleans. In the French Quarter. It was just glorious. And um, and he's a dad now. And he hasn't consumed alcohol since. <laughs> Is it really been since then? It's been. That was that was it. That was it. It was wow. like maybe like a month after that, uh, he and his wife quit. They were like, we're done. That's it. I oh thought he gosh. was drinking in 2016 at Tales. No, no, okay. that was no. that was the last year. Well, we okay. do have the photo, um, the photo is good. It reminds him to why why he quit. Yeah, good. and 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 we are um, Jen has so graciously decided to donate all of these photos that she printed out behind her. So for the first uh, the first five. We'll do we'll do one of two ways because we also, of course, want to reward our listeners, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to come one. down to comments on the Instagram and new followers. So the first five people will get a copy of Stephen Barry um, throwing a hissy fit at Tales of the Cocktail 2015. Stephen Barry is going to create five new ghost accounts and uh, just comment all at once so he could just take them all off the market. We'll take the interaction. I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I'm not above that. So I think um, I think now it's time for our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so in our first story, what we're going to cover is the global whiskey market. And it has just recently been projected to hit $6.7 billion um, by 2025. Did I read that right? Or uh, 2028, I thought. No. Okay, 2028. We'll do, we'll do that instead. Um, uh, 2031. This, is, this <laughs> has been the projections. are <laughs> just all wrong. I thought I wrote that part down. I did not. I wrote down the other one. I'm, I'm looking at the headline. It says 2031. It's currently at $4.3 billion and it's been slowly increasing every single year. Um, now, when I read this, I got really excited about the fact that, because this is really heavily based on like single malt or malt whiskey and scotch whiskey and stuff like that. So um, from your perspective, Jen, uh-huh. you know, you've been dedicated to single malt whiskeys in the past. I know you guys have some underneath you now. When you see things like this and when you see trends, you know, when you are actually able to get out to bars, yeah. 
you know, what are you seeing for the future of malt whiskey around the world? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really been up and down for me personally. Um, I love single malt whiskey. I love scotch. I love, um, I love all that, but, um, the tariffs, the supply chain issues, all of this have really, really created kind of a chaotic, um, slowdown to sales and to even depletions here for us in the United States. But I have to say like Irish whiskeys are still, it's kind of for me going upwards. Um, I couldn't tell you, but I, I read a couple articles that said by 2028, we're going to be just the U S market's going to be in the billions selling scotch whiskeys or single malt whiskeys sorry so well so um, you guys have yeah. you guys have glenlivet right we have glenlivet we have abelauer um Ooh, that's right yeah those are two good ones that we have we have um middleton obviously jameson's killing it no matter what um jameson's middleton the spots so yeah Ryan's really the spots, spots were underneath spots. you guys too Oh yeah. Yeah, the spots are are always in high demand, but the issue with the supply chains and inventory with our distributors, things just don't happen how we want it to, and it's always allocated, and it's really hard for people even just to get their hands on any of it. So. It's it's such a bummer what has happened to the spot because I hate that I'm at a point now in my career where I'm like. I remember going into the store and picking up a red spot on the shelf. Like I, yes. you know, for like retail pricing and, and I really, it's, it's legitimately the last Irish whiskey I bought. Cause I'm not the biggest Irish whiskey fan, but I really, really do enjoy, um, you know, some of the malts that are coming out of there and, and the spots have always been a great representation of that, you know, moving away from kind of the article, but more so focusing on, you know, you guys do have, the juggernaut that is Jameson. And I think it has like some online presence of, or on-premise um, availability of like 99%, which is just unheard of in, in the entire spirits industry. But there's been a big, uh, you know, influx of Irish whiskeys over the last three years. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, five, six years ago, maybe a little bit longer now because COVID years, you know, mess with my mind. But, you know, we had yeah. like, you know, 10 distilleries and now we're up to like 50, 60, like they're, they're just popping up everywhere. New brands are popping up everywhere. Um, you know, I, I don't think, obviously I don't think Jameson is in a tough position, but you know, when you guys yeah. see that as a, as a brand and you see that like, like, good Lord, there's another Irish whiskey out. I mean, is it, is it something that you guys take notice of, or you're just kind of being like, you're not, oh. you're not a threat yet. No, we got a frozen drew. Oh, Drew. Am I back yet? I was. Yep. All right. You back? Am I? Yeah, I missed. You were like getting there. And I was getting there. So I just, so my question was, is there um, like, do you see the rest of these distilleries as a threat yet? Or are you still in a position where it's kind of like, they're just too small before Jameson really has to start considering them as, as like potential competition? I mean, I think it's amazing you're asking me like I'm the CEO of Pernod Ricard. You asked me, okay, but I'm okay. not. Okay, <laughs> let's be okay. You're, you know, you're right. But here's, but here's the thing: like you are in and you run 
one of the most influential markets in the world. And there's no denying that that's what San Francisco is. So, but also one of the most closed markets since 2020. What does that mean? Uh, I guess that's true. Like COVID by COVID, closed. We just, we were the slowest to reopen up fully while everyone else was open. Uh, a lot of that had to do with um, obviously COVID, but also like just our, um, our city government itself. Which I'm grateful for. Because like I said, there's always going to be happy hours. There's always going to be business that opens up. Once we open up, we're just, which we are now, we're pretty much just going. You can tell by traffic, we're going back to where we were quickly. So. I'm really disappointed because I have to be there on Thursday and I'm really dreading it. So. um, Sorry. Damn it. Um, Okay. Well, so, okay. Maybe early. Oh, I I can't. They literally scheduled the meeting at the worst possible time for me. Like, there's just the most selfish thing these people have ever done to me. It's four o'clock. Yes. Oh, getting in's no problem, but getting home's going to be a bitch. Yeah, I might as well stay the night. And, you know, get home at the same time. Um, but so okay, so now I mean, no, I'll if, meet if you we, for half there, are, I will now. I will. I yeah. will for sure. So. Okay, so we'll take that. We'll take the like the kind of the global scale question out. But I mean, you know, there are a lot of brands that come, you know, to San Francisco to launch themselves. And most of the time what they do is like they take a shot at the king. Like is Jameson's going to be king in this scenario? Are there any brands that you see that you're kind of like, you're like, hey, maybe we maybe keep an eye out on this Irish whiskey. Like this one seems to be making more waves than most. Yeah, I ain't scared of Stephen Barry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about Writer's Tears? I don't know. He's got a couple. I don't. He does have out. a few. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, as as someone who's been on the bar side, on the sales side, I I always feel like you have to embrace the newcomers because if there's people creating new brands and they're making a mark. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us overall, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Jameson's because Jameson's nationwide, internationally, it's you can't match it. There's no way. It's going to take a, a while. From a sales perspective. San Francisco, the account list that I work with, they're not huge Jameson accounts. You know, they're more red breasts. They're more spots. They're more Middleton. So um, I'm not really worried about Jameson's getting overtaken. Also, I think production-wise, there's nobody in Ireland that can really match what they're doing, honestly. Do you feel like, okay, so getting away from the Jameson talk, but more so like on the the spots and the red breast and things like that, because those are, you know, malt whiskeys, which is kind of really where this, where this article starts. Like, do you feel like you're seeing more malt whiskey out there? I mean, cause there's been this incremental I, growth every single year of malt whiskey and, you know, and, and I do feel that America is a little bit slower on the malt whiskey, you know, uptake just because they often associate malted whiskey with like peated whiskey. Like they think they're yeah. one and the same and it definitely hurts the category, but now you're, you know, whether it's American or Irish or Scotch, like it does seem like there's more brands that are, that are coming out that are making it more approachable. Is that what you've noticed in San Francisco? I feel like for anyone who still thinks that malt whiskey is peated, they're still, they haven't learned anything. Like I was thinking that back in the nineties when I was behind the bar, you know, like 
come on. Like we've seen the growth of Japanese single malt. We've seen the growth of Asian single malts. We've seen scotch. I mean, scotch and Irish whiskeys just blow it. I think that um, if there's any, any in, indication of like my past year, we just closed our year in, uh, in at the end of June. So I would have to say that um, just looking back on my past year, American whiskeys, it was tough for me. Yes, there was COVID, but we're, in San Francisco, it's such a fishbowl and there's so many brand reps and there's so many brand ambassadors all selling their thing. It really comes down to price point. It really comes down to brand recognition. And it really comes down to what, do you, what are you going to do for me in San Francisco? And yeah. I hate to say that right now, but it is about like support. Like, what can you do for me? How can you make your brand work for my account? I wish I could be in a place prior to COVID where people were just buying things because they were passionate about it or they learned the story and they really wanted to support it. But it's it's been a tough three years. I mean, American whiskeys for me did not do well at all because there's just so many out there and I'm in such a fishbowl. I see the rise in my market of single malt whiskey and Irish whiskey for sure. I can't explain it because the tariffs, supply chain demands, it takes longer to get out here. But still, people are buying more Irish and more, you know, international malt whiskeys than they are American whiskeys for me. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point. It's one thing that we definitely see as a smaller distributor is that... Yeah. The support that you're referring to is often like the pay to play, which means brands are coming in, they're spending money on corporate credit cards, we free don't do products. That. I know, I'm not saying you guys do that. I'm just saying right now, it is a it's it's more prevalent than I've ever seen in my life. Right, like it yeah. really is ridiculous how much. And, and at the same time, like I get it because of what you said. There's three years of you know being behind the eight ball. Um, so Chris, I want to shift it to you because, you know, you're in a position where you have a bottle shop, but you're also in the process of opening a restaurant, um, you know, and you, you have pretty decent back bar space, but like opening up a, a bar right now and looking at the, at the bar space that you have and thinking about the concept that you guys have, how much room are you giving to single malt whiskey? Uh significant really yeah and, and specifically irish um but let's put this in context right like we talk about hey, you mentioned this drew uh, with some samples sorry <laughs> i thought you don't do that no i can come taste you on stuff oh say oh samples samples that's what i sorry yeah i, I misheard you wow <laughs> Okay, so go ahead. Go, go back into yeah. what you're saying. Sorry, Jen and I are talking shit to each other. It's fine. Um, uh, you mentioned this, Drew, uh, you know, like a minute or two ago. Uh, Ireland had next to no distilleries, um, except for, you know, two insanely massive distilleries that had consumed all other micro distilleries into theirs, right? Which yeah, you know, you're looking at you're looking at Jameson at, at Middleton, and you're looking at um, at Bushmills, right? And and, and that was Cooley. it. Is, is it Cooley? Cooley, Cooley, Cooley is one of Bushmills. Well? 
yeah. Oh, okay. Push, push. All right. All right. That's what it's, um, okay. And it was those two until the early aughts. And then within 10 years of that, Ireland grew to maybe seven distilleries. Now, in another 10 years, they're up to almost 40 distilleries. Now, each one of those distilleries, uh, it you can assume, puts out at least one brand. More likely than not, they put out probably two or three brands from those distilleries. So we're seeing an exponential growth of Irish whiskeys that are hitting uh, the American market right now, which is really incredible. And, and now if they're coming all from the same distillery, we can take like MGP here in the United States as a great example. They don't all necessarily taste the same. There's, there's certain structures that, that are very similar to each one. Um, but that doesn't make, make each brand um, uh, like uh, totally interchangeable. Right. So they each have a little bit of their own value and, and it takes someone of, of, you know, a certain level of giving a shit to, to tell the difference between the two, between the few. Um, but there's more to choose from, which makes sense. Now, if we, if we reference back to the article, right, because not only, not only are we seeing a growth in dollar demand and what people are willing to spend from, from, you know, a, um, a market standpoint on malted whiskeys, but we're also looking at an exponential growth of availability um, and and affordability. Uh, yeah, there's 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 some affordability, but then also just just some like understanding. There's a consumer understanding that, hey, I want to try this like there's there's this new brand out. Also, marketing laws, at least here in the United States, have changed um, so that way, you know, uh, where people are approached about booze now is different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, so we're seeing this exponential growth in, in sales. I, I have had my eye on Ireland uh, for quite a while and, and kind of for the greater Britain islands and UK islands. I, I very interested to seeing all the stuff that comes out of there. Um, there's some really, really fantastic stuff. Uh, coming coming out of there. I mean, one of yours, Drew, is is hands down one of my favorite malt whiskeys of all time, which is Pandaren. I mean, the stuff that's coming coming out of that distillery is just fucking mind blowing, right? I mean, it doesn't fit into Ireland, but like, god damn it, like that's a malt whiskey that definitely deserves to be on every single back bar. Yeah, I think that you know, as as you were talking about it, and like some of the things that are happening, the um, I was just thinking about just from a from my perspective, you know, being a distributor with JVS and one of the things that I talk with my boss about pretty, you know, con- consistently is our Glen Allocky brand, you know, without question, Glen Allocky has kept our lights on this year, which is insane. And I think, you know, a lot of that, you know, to kind of bring it back to the struggles of American whiskey, there's been such a huge uptick in American whiskey that it's just kind of like, Oh my God, what is going on right now? And what's yeah. happened is that the content in the bottle has fallen so far behind its price on the shelf and people are becoming more and more aware of that, that they're starting to turn away from it. And they're being like, I'm sorry, I'm not buying another MGP product for $80 when I can go 
and get a single malt scotch, a single malt Irish, you know, Irish uh, whiskey. Well, I think or that's twofold, the case right? Like it's it, it that's twofold. A it requires someone knowing that what MGP is, or you know, take out and replace with with whatever X, right? It requires it requires a certain like knowledge base of the consumer, which with the growth of social media over the last five years and specifically like whiskey groups on Facebook and social media and TikTok mm-hmm. and people just fucking blowing it up. The, the consumer knowledge is exponentially more than what it was 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And brands yeah. just haven't caught up to it. In fact, brands are so far behind the mark that there are new brands being made today that are still operating on the same playing field that existed 10 years ago and they're doomed to fail unless they have, you know, a, you know, $5 million in, in liquid capital that they can move. Also depending on who they have behind them as well. Yeah. Well, there's, there's that. And I think, I think whiskey is at this unique point too, where, and this speaks to what you just said, Chris, where there's a lot more education behind stuff. So it reminds me of where, wine was like 15 to 20 years ago where your real enthusiast knew who the winemakers were right and they knew what projects they were going to and and I bring this up because we have Lockley whiskey which is which is ran by John Campbell right and John was at Laphroaig for years and this is something that in today's world people know who ran Laphroaig like that's crazy you know, and even the same thing with Glen Alecky, like people knew who Billy Walker was because of what he had done with Ben Riach and Glen Dronick, right? Love it. Yeah. And it and it's like people are now they're they're following these producers to these different places. I mean, if you look at like the Rome world, um Maggie Campbell going to Mount Gay, right? Like that was a big deal. You know, and it's strange to think that it's kind of like, you know, have these mini rock stars that exist of these producers and that your enthusiasts are kind of like, oh, I know who that person is. And now they're going to this project. I I foresee such a strong marketing pushback from brands on on this exact narrative, because. I, I fully believe in follow the producer, right, like with wineries follow the winemaker because no matter where that winemaker goes they have a certain level of standards that they won't fall beneath right like you can you can only only convince yourself to forget so much knowledge that you have right same goes with distilling right like you can you can only convince yourself to like cut this many corners before you start feeling like shit about yourself and and the product that you're putting out (laughs) That being being said, like there's, there's only if, if producers stay in places for like 10 years and then move to another, to another brand, which is unlikely. I mean, honestly, like producers jumping ship and going from one brand to another happens, you know, every 20 years. It's so uncommon. Yeah. That being said, follow the producer. I mean, look at look at um, uh, Jimmy Russell, right? Leaving Four Roses, going to start Cream of Kentucky. He took his style of what he does and put it into a new 
new brand. You can also look at the old old um, master distiller of MGP who who retired from MGP, left and went and started Old Elk. You know, there's there's certain levels of of competency that you can't undo. Um, the these these guys, these women, they they have this obsessive compulsion to creating something that's fucking rad, you know. And if you if you get behind them, you'll never be disappointed. But what I see is is in the next like five to ten years, some of these brands kind of trying to gently and not so nonchalantly attempting to to like market and convince the the consuming public that that's that's not a thing that that like stick with my brand and it doesn't matter who's producing it because our brand is dope no matter who it is i i, I don't know jen, that- jen what do, jen what do you think because you're shaking your head in utter disappointment and disgust right now no, no. <laughs> well that's just typical I, for our conversations so i agree with chris on all of that because you know i've worked for obviously i'm brilliant but have ch- <laughs> okay let's slow it down <laughs> slow it down no i agree because i think um you know a couple of brands that i've worked for that have gone through different hands products definitely changed um producing Methods have definitely changed, but the mainstream still is there and they still buy it. So it's hard to, I want to understand, like, that's how we feel. But I feel like if you have to, we're in a bubble here. If you look at the rest of the United States, the rest of the world, it takes a lot more to convince them otherwise that it's not the same product, you know, or not to, you know, to follow the producer versus follow the product. People get so ingrained with the brands that they like, the name sticks. Uh, if marketing does a good job with it, then it'll stick even more. So. Well, I think you also have to look at how, how brands are consumed, right? Uh, yeah. You know, like it, it, if Bacardi changes its master distiller, you're not going to see so much of a hiccup because Bacardi Superior is rarely consumed on its own. It's going to be, it's going to be consumed in Coca-Cola. It's going to be consumed in Mojito, right? So like those nuances won't be yeah. there versus, you know, talking about like a Glen Allocky, you know, like a single malt whiskey, which will be consumed either neat or on the rocks, you know, occasionally by exactly. Coke. Yeah. But that's also a small percentage versus let's say doers or, bigger brands that have already been ingrained and been, you know, consumer driven. So I think a lot of it comes down to how suppliers and liquor brands want to kind of market themselves. Smaller brands have a harder, harder time for sure. I think still, especially with COVID. COVID. And it's sad because, you know, that's obviously that was, that's my passion is support the little man and the little mom and pop stores, right? Versus going to McDonald's or something. You know what I'm saying? So. Well, A, fuck McDonald's. 
be in and out's dope. So you can still find something in the middle there. All right, stay in San Francisco and don't eat in and out. That's all I care about. Yeah. Okay, so our next story actually has to do with this country you guys might have heard of called Ukraine. I don't know. It's been in the news lately. Um, but there was a underground pipeline that was found, uh, 300 meters long that extended from one private residence to another Ukraine to Moldova, where they determined it was used to smuggle vodka from Ukraine to Moldova. Yeah. Um, this was actually a series, uh, part of a series of tunnels that exists, uh, underneath, Russia, Moldova, Ukraine, and other countries that would be in that region that became very popular during um, the time of the Soviet Union, where there'd be a lot of Russian vodka that was smuggled out of the country and then sold at very, very high profits, according to the article. Um, My question to you guys in regards to this story umbrella is... If you were smuggling spirits, what spirit would it be? Jen, why don't you start us off? Oh, man. I would have to say probably Miss Cow. Ooh. Okay, why? Because it's one of my favorite go-tos. Um, and it has. it's very similar to, I think... Single malt and wine. You know, it's very terroir driven. It's very all about the story of the family that's producing it, and just the different differences in flavors and stuff. I think it's really catching on fire. I think mezcal is going to overtake tequila by twenty twenty eight. Twenty twenty eight. There it is. I like that she she had to reference her notes on twenty twenty eight. <laughs> okay which so, really funny about that i sure. i uh my in my mind i was like man can we set one of these up for sotol like bring some of that from chihuahua back up and and like through i figure that that will be easier to to go uh under the border like I'd be fine also with with uh, um, parachutes and balloons carrying it over the border. Um, <laughs> really, anyway, anyway, it could come. It could come to me. I think would be fun, right? Yeah. But I like the idea of I like the idea of the of the PVC piping taking it under the border. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure it's it's much bigger than that. This is probably. Not PVC, but um, no. They said that it is specifically um, specifically referenced in in this article in the vodka pipeline. Uh, uh, Three hundred meters of polyurethane pipe. So, I in my mind that said PVC. Okay. Okay. Oh, so got it. so you're so you're so you're thinking so you're thinking so tall for yourself. Um, so my smuggling would not, would not take place in the U S I would be in Asia and I would be smuggling Baiju. 
That's um, interesting. What and, uh, would it be a specific brand of Baijiu that you would be trying to like? Um, have you tasted Baijiu? I have. I have tasted okay. Baijiu. There's only and a the couple reason, good ones that I can tolerate. This is really racist yeah. of you, Jen. And I'm Chinese. So. Yeah. So you're allowed to say this. Um, my my reason being is because I was I well I was thinking I was thinking about this from the perspective of this article, right? So they're smuggling, or like that these pipelines were developed to get Russian vodka out to these different countries and sold at a at a major profit, right? Because they're you know just trying to consume as much vodka as possible. I mean, obviously, I love mezcal, I love sotol, I also sell both those products. Jesus Christ, that's a hard product to sell. But you look at the Baiju numbers, and the Baiju what if, numbers what if are it's insane. Fifty percent cheaper. It would be as hard to sell. If it was, it would depend. But yeah, I mean, of course that that helps. I mean, I'm just thinking it's like you know you have this built-in marketplace of millions of people because it, it's you know because Baiju obviously exists in different parts of Asia, and I'm sure there's ones that are like hey, I wish we could get this. I mean, think about like that Baiju bottle. That is available here in the states at Total Wine. That's a three seven five for like three hundred dollars or something like uh, that. Mutai. Yeah, and it's like if we could get that for a hundred, you know, and I'm paying X amount. Like I'm thinking about this from the profit standpoint, where it's like, okay, we got a lot of drinkers for this. This is obviously a huge, a huge um, product because I mean we've looked at we've looked at the numbers before. And the overall sales of Baiju versus like everybody else. I mean, I think I remember when we looked at like the top spirits companies in the world, like three out of the top five were Baiju, right? Yeah, it's it's the, has a, I think Pernod has a Baiju brand. Yeah, it just bought into Mutai. Okay. Uh, like like two years ago, we don't, I believe sell, we, it. we don't sell it in the U.S. So no, I believe we we covered that story and pontificated uh, at to no end as to what the what. The I'm sorry, I just started listening it. today, so I didn't know that. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Appreciate the support. But I think, but I do think that that's like what I would do now. You know, this was a Vice article, so there there's potential that they could always do like a deep dive on it, and we'll be able to watch a 13 minute documentary on YouTube before we know it. Yes. But but I but I would be curious to kind of know because there's definitely an awareness that I have of the secondary market when it comes to different countries. Like I know I I personally have two two accounts in my life that I know one of them sells back to India and the other one sells to China, right? And they make a ton of money by doing this. And but it's also you know a major pain in the ass at the same time. But the profits are there. Can Jen I ask thought. you who who you would smuggle Baiju to? Who are you smuggling Baiju to? So my my smuggling of Baiju would have to take place in Asia, and it would okay. be like it would be like, hey, who's not getting the shit that they want? You know, so then there would there'd be some market because if you're smuggling it here, nobody will want. To. Exactly, but that's the same thing that that's the same issue I have with mezcal and sotol as the answers, right? No, Is that there's. Mezcal. There, there, there's desire for it for sure, but not to the point where like, I'm like, you know what? I need to break some laws so I can make some serious money on this. Like you're not doing that with Mezcal or Sotol. You might be able to crush with some Baiju. Not so your, your version right. of smuggling is, uh, for Drew is like, is cases falling off the back of a truck. I mean, not, I'm actually trying to make money being, here. Not being piped underneath international borders. It's not like a passion project for me. 
right? It's not like I love this stuff so much. What are you waiting for? (laughs) You know, I I will will say (laughs) to our listeners, whomever they may be, uh, mom, uh, just me, just Jen this time, uh, uh, for for Drew and I, the Mutai, do we remember what the what the specific uh, mark is? It, this is our unicorn. Like we this is necessary for Drew and I to experience. So if you have it in your collection and you feel like uh, sharing it with Drew and I, well, uh, okay. we would be very, very uh, grateful. And and we've made this plea before and former guest. Brian Lee said, I have a bot. I have a bottle. That's true. It's somewhere in storage. I will pull it out. We will drink it together. And then instead of doing that, he went and had a second kid instead. So, well, uh, and, and, Brian Lee. and then he also, he, he also <laughs> gifted me, um, a, a bunch of heirlooms of bar equipment in the meantime as well, which are just absolutely stunning. Listen, I don't mean, redeem this man right now. We're trying to bury him. No, so, I can't um, do it. Uh, Brian Lee is one of the sweetest <laughs> men uh, to walk the face of the planet. So I, I'm yes, not going to yes. do that. And and people should go listen to that episode because he really is lovely. I, I do love him a lot, but he but he put it out there. It wasn't like we were like, Brian, you're Asian. You have this right. No, he came to oh, us. Oh, so you're waiting he, for me to No, say he that. came to us and said, well, I'm Asian. Mom, and I have you it. guys. Jesus <laughs> Yeah, because we know you have a we know that you have a, a personal pipeline. So I actually that's... do, and I my family has a shrine <laughs> in China. So. We actually this is, do. This is this is murky water for a couple of white we guys. Have a, we we have a back off. temple, and that's where you know my pipeline starts. So the the Chen Temple, Chen Temple, Chen Temple. God damn it. Chen Quick Shumple. intro the next the next uh, 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 segment. Otherwise, we're gonna. Well, you know, this is before we move on to the next thing. I want people to send us the spirit that they would smuggle. Text it to us. Put it on the Instagram account. Whatever. Of course, and we'll how forget you about would smuggle it. Sure, how you would smuggle it as well. Do that. Okay, let's move on. Oh, you didn't ask me those questions. I had a lot of answers for that. Oh, do you, Jen? By all well, means, tell us how you would mezcal, smuggle your mezcal. It would be in America. It would but be not during... where, how? Well, I can't tell you how. Oh, that's what you just said. No, I know, but I just realized I can't tell you because if we actually got to the point where, you know, things were shut down again and I actually had to smuggle, I don't want to give myself away, so. This is the most ridiculous thing of all time. This is the worst content ever. <laughs> just... <laughs> Yeah, one of our one of our you sixty listeners is maybe. them over there. <laughs> okay, we're gonna move on to my favorite segment, which is our dope follows. We're gonna give you dope people to check out. It could be shows, it could be movies, it could be books. By the way, I finally finished that pirate book I recommended like two months ago. It's amazing. Check it out. Um, yeah, it was very Arr. Irish. Um, but uh, these are just things that we think are dope. And that we think that you think will dope as well. So you know what I don't think is dope? You? Jen Chen. Jen Chen. <laughs> Boom. Dropping bombs. And her mystery smuggling freaking plan. Yeah. I'll um, let you know if 
I mean, if it honestly, works. I'll tell you when the time comes, you guys. Come on. Okay, that's as long great. as you call it the Jenchen Railroad, that's all I really care about. So oh, that's um, good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Jen, who's your dope follow? Um, well, I was thinking about it. There's a couple of things that I've that make me laugh in a time, you know, when things are tough. And I think um, liquor industry on Instagram uh, mm. also goes under Jack Danielle. For my life and things that I go through on the daily. Um, it's pretty amazing and it drew you would find this just you you'll laugh your ass off so. actually so now people at home won't be able to see this but wait is it you are you jack danielle no but oh. i bought i bought their book the abcs of wine wait what oh my god book? what yeah what does this book teach us so yeah. it's so this is from this is from the account because jen you are correct i love i love the account um but I knew they it. recently they recently put out a book, The ABCs of Wine, which I have read to my daughter. And so Drew's learning his ABCs. Yeah. So it's like B is for Brunello. Brunello oh is a full-bodied God. red wine made from Sangiovese grapes. I, yeah. I'm also gonna point out to uh our our listeners that Drew is holding the book to the camera as if he's reading to his daughter, which is how you know he's it's a dad. Very cute. I love it. Yeah, lots of fun images. Um there's still some on there. I have to get uh, myself a copy. Yeah. Uh, my daughter really enjoyed it. So I'm sure Luca would enjoy it as well. You should, yeah. you should pick it up. Um, the ABCs of wine. It's great. Right off that. Another thing that I do love is um, because you're talking about kids now. See, this is my life is um, ABC to Jay-Z and it's um, little homies ABC to Jay-Z and like it, it teaches like the kids A through Z, but it has every individual hip hop star and their song lyric kind of. They change it a little bit because a lot of it's very explicit. For example, oh like um, <laughs> B is for Boa. Um, Nicki Minaj has, or two buns to feed, buns to feed her pet anaconda. Mm-hmm. So they had to change it a little bit to be. Friendly. Well, that's fair because the anaconda don't want none unless she's got buns. So that's fair. But the good thing is, now he knows, like, every time we get on the page, he goes, show me a song from Snoop Dogg and show me a song from Eminem. And so, like, I picked the safest song and he knows all his hip-hop stars now. So, Mama is proud. That's definitely a big victory there. I can can appreciate that. Um, Look at that. I'm, I'm in. It. Chris, Chris, who's your dope follow this week? Uh, mine is I, I've gone into my uh, political side the last few weeks here. Uh, yeah, you should. Thank you. Um, I have a podcast that is paired with a previous uh, dope follow. Uh, the new the podcast is a new one. And it's called Who Who Killed Daphne? It's uh, they've only just released uh, the fourth episode. I believe it's a six or eight part series. And it's about uh, the assassination of a journalist uh, on the um, in Malta, the country of Malta. Uh, This journalist, uh, I can't say her last name. I in in that I just can't remember it. Can't pronounce it. Exactly. Uh, Her name's Daphne. She was one of. 
a handful of journalists who helped uh, release and publish and do all the information gathering on the Panama Papers. Um, and, and this podcast specifically is produced by her son and his uh, another uh, a handful of other journalists uh, of which she was in in an organization with um, who did the work that international police and local police would not do um, in order to find her killer. Uh, So far they're on episode four. It's fantastic. I'm not a true crime buff. Like I'm not that guy who who likes those. Sounds like you are true crime me <laughs> uh, uh podcasts and shows but um i am a, a political uh polywonk dude so uh this this speaks to me uh i'm going to pair this with uh the show that i've suggested drew watch multiple times which is uh the beast that is the um the global economy and specifically pair this with episode two or three, I forget it, it has to do with it has to do with money laundering. Wait, what's the show called? The beast, the beast that is the global economy. Okay. Uh, they are not directly connected in any way, but they, they run parallel with each other in, in some pretty significant ways. Um, and I find, both of these incredibly fascinating, and this has sort of been my life in in terms of my fascination, my reading, my information consumption in the last like month. I like it. It, it pulls awesome. me out of also like opening a bar and being completely consumed by the industry. So I need to like draw my intellectual brain elsewhere. I like awesome. it. I think it's good to have those escapes, and I'll definitely check those I- out. Okay, so so I have two, and one just kind of popped into my head because of some of the things that Chris just said. But um, this past Friday, I went and saw a movie. And before the movie, I actually saw Chris and our mutual friend, Yvonne. Now, Yvonne is the type of guy who's smarter than both Chris and I. It's pretty ridiculous. Slow down. And, and no, he is. He is. But um, not hard for he, me to believe. I'm not. A, I'm not comfortable with this being out in public information. Okay. Well, <laughs> just 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 bear with me here. And so I tell these guys what movie I'm going to see. My my wife wanted to see it, um, and it is uh, it's called Where the Crawdads Sing, right? And so this was. <gasps> oh. Yeah, so this was a book that really got my wife back Sorry. into reading, and she's like, she's like, hey, I want to go see this movie, and I just agreed. I didn't know anything about this this book; I had no idea. And then, so on the way to the movie theater, I'm like, hey, so what's this movie about? And my wife Caitlin was like, you didn't watch a preview or anything, and I was like, I was like, no. And so I start watching a preview, and I'm like, God damn it, this is going to be an uncomfortable movie for me because I don't do anything that makes me uncomfortable, right? I go and I watch, I, yeah, I just, I just, I, and I'll get into this in a second, but it's like, I go and watch the movie. It's a good movie. Um, I definitely recommend people should go and see it. But then I go back to Yvonne because Yvonne asked me, he's like, hey, I really enjoyed that book. Let me know how it is. So I say to him, I'm going to read you guys how this interaction went via uh, text message. <laughs> um, 
I was like, hey, my wife said it was the best book adaptation she's ever seen. He said, well, that's good to hear. What did you think? I said, it was good. I didn't enjoy the experience at all because I just don't watch or read things that make me uncomfortable, but it was good. To which he responds, that couldn't be any more of a quote unquote white dude comment. And I was like, life is uncomfortable enough. I don't need it in my entertainment sector. And he says, I was raised by movies, so I have no problem experiencing the gamut of emotions. Fair enough, right? Emotions it's the most Yvonne, you know, like, Yvonne response ever. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I used to I used to be like that, but there are just some things I have no interest in or no interest in. Abusive fathers just makes me sick to my stomach. And then he goes, Oh shit, I forgot about that part. Yeah, okay. I think I blocked that part out of the book. I just I almost didn't finish it because of that. And I just was and then I sent him the Steve Carell <laughs> meme of him going, Thank you. You know, like that's uh so that was the end of our conversation. So it is a deeply uncomfortable movie, but it is good. I do recommend people to go see it. Um uh, so if you if you read the book, watch the movie. It's good, and my wife has done both, and she I really can't wait. It. Um, now, and I didn't spoil anything either. I mean, it's you know, it's a, it's a, you you'll see it. It's great. Uh, my other one is an Instagram account, and this is actually a uh, football coach. He is the strength coach for the University of Miami. Uh, I got turned on to him when he was at the University of Oregon, and it's Coach Feld. And so C O A C H F E L D. He is a monster in the gym. And he also has this very unique mustache, like the curly, curled up mustache. He looks like a bartender. It's probably why I, res- you know, like I, I feel comfortable around him. Oh but my he, gosh, he uh, does. Yeah. <laughs> so he has a, um, a fundraiser going right now and it's called fill the sleeves and basically it is you buy this t-shirt and you're supposed to do lots of bicep workouts to fill the sleeve up the money is going to go to special olympics in florida which if you are up to date on your um florida news uh ron DeSantis just likes to threaten the special olympics all the time with pulling their funding so coach feld has done this done this thing it's a 45 day challenge i just got my shirt and it is amazing um, I hope everybody else Wait, can check it out. are you filling it for us right now? I'm going to fill it tomorrow. And when you guys see it, you're going to be like, whoa, that's one filled up shirt. I'll tag you in the Instagram post. Um, so so those are those are my two dope follows uh, for awesome. this weekend. I got to tell you guys, I think those I think those are some pretty dope follows. Music for the Good Bottle Podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced uh, pretty darn well by us two guys. Before we get, go and kill these bottles that we've been drinking, I I actually have already done that. Uh, I've killed mine too. My entire bottle of wine uh, this evening, and I feel great about it. Uh, we ask Damn, that if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Rub it weirdly, make it feel good, make sure that the entire internet knows that they should be subscribing, and then also leave us that five star review. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison6. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Jen, where can they find you on the social medias? Uh, Instagram at APJenChen, stands for Asshole Princess, or <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> same at facebook and for my professional account it would be jen chen g-e-n-t-i-a-n 
415. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, that's a, that's a gin joke. A gin and tonic joke. Which is... No, that's your... That's my what? That's your wife, gin and tonic. Yeah. Gin and tonic. Just, come on, guys. There's I'm way the, too much insider, insider jokes here. Yeah. It's such a bad joke. She's. Re- it's not landing. Because you're a bitter root. Jesus. Chris, read your next part. <laughs> if you would like to, for us to cover a story or if you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. Jen, how was, how was that martini that you were drinking? Um, actually, I'm not drinking a martini. I don't drink martinis. They're too strong. I'm a mom. I like to do 50-50s. Gin. That's the most hipster shit I think I've ever heard. No, it's not. I don't drink martinis. I drink 50-50s. Well, yeah, because nobody wants to wake up with a hangover when you're a parent, okay? Yeah, facts. Facts. Okay. And uh, so as a reminder, you can purchase some bottles at thegoodbottleshop.com. And, re- and remember, comment if you're already a listener or subscribe if you're a new listener, and we will send you a Stephen Barry photo courtesy yes. of today's guest. It is beautiful. It's, we'll put it on the Instagram so you can see gonna it. It's going to be gift wrapped with a card signed by all of us. It's lovely. Just fantastic presentation. Yeah. It's, it's, got, presentation. A be- it's got a beautiful uh, uh, white frame on it. It's... Uh, Honestly, the photograph is like structured in such a way it really it just pops on any bookshelf. Agreed. Well, I think till next time. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. I like that we talked long enough that the music went out. It's definitely an episode that I'd be like, yep, they were all drinking. This was not a morning episode. (laughs) Whoa. I was not drinking. I was drinking for Wiz. She was drinking a 50-50, Drew. Yeah. Don't you know? It's not a hipster drink. There's booze in it. 